Philippians 1.6 testimony. We started these back last week. We've got this morning Liz McBroom coming. We want to give testimony to how God is working in our church and in people's lives and allow the opportunity for you to get to know people better. Uh, the Bible verse is Philippians 1.6. It says that I am confident of this very thing, that the God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's an awesome verse. Paul's writing to the Philippians, and he's letting, letting them know that, hey, he knows that they're not where they need to be. They're, we're a work in progress. But he also knows that they're not where they used to be. He sees God working in them. And that's really what all of us are, those of us who are trusting in Christ. And so we're going to allow Liz to give testimony to that this morning. Uh, Liz, thanks for being willing to. Let me ask you the first question. Uh, how did you come to know Christ? Um, I was lucky enough to be born into a Christian family. Um, sorry, I'm nervous. And um, have been in church for as long as I can remember. And then at the age of seven, just realized my need um, for Christ as my Savior. So I went before the church um, and was baptized, but it wasn't until about the age of 20 um, the Holy Spirit really started working on me as far as um, not only Christ as my Savior, but Christ as my Lord, and just helping me realize I had not submitted to that. So I um, wrestled with that for about a year. It was a long year, a long wrestle. Um, and at the age of 21, finally submitting to his Lordship. And just going from um, church as an obligation, church is something that we did as a family, to just a love for the church and a love for serving his church. Yeah. Mm. Well, praise God that he, that he, that he has saved you. Uh, I want to I draw y'all's attention. This is the big challenge, right? To be a family that's all about Jesus, and to be a family that's all about church, and yet it not be just routine. I want to I caution y'all with that and warn you with that, that it would be heart, heartfelt and it would be sincere. There's great danger in that. Uh, and yet, through all of that, we're thankful that, that you were, and, and even now, here today, you're giving testimony and glory to God that he was using those things. Good. All right, so you were 20, 21, and so that was just a few years ago. Yeah. And um, sure. looking back, as long as you've been a Christian now, following Christ as Lord, what do you see was a season where God grew you? Um, well, little did I know at that time, but um, I was married to a wonderful Christian man. We had started a, a young family at that time. Um, and then it was a couple years later that um, my husband, Matt, actually submitted to the call of Christ to go into the ministry. Um, and he had just laid a, a burden and a passion in our heart for youth. And so Matt accepted a job as a um, youth pastor. And being the wife and, and having a family, that became a call on our family. Mm. So just having the privilege of being able to work with middle school and um, high school youth and sharing the gospel with them and, and watching them come to Christ himself and then disciple them through that time. Um, and then even now we have relationships with someone we've been able to watch them become uh, church leaders in their own churches and some have gone on to the mission field and, and, and youth pastors themselves. So it's just it's yeah. amazing. Wow, that's cool. So as God was working in your husband's life, he was also working in yours and in many ways doing that together yeah. simultaneously. Yeah, well, praise God for that. Okay. Uh, well, we're thankful for Matt too. Matt, we're thankful for you. Uh, a blessing to our church, not only you, but, but he as well. Uh, well, let me ask you this. Lastly, and this is a tough question. How, how is God growing you now? Um, well, when I was thinking about answering this, this was actually a, about a, a two-year process that he's been getting me to this point now. Uh, a couple years back, we, we knew that God was calling us away from the youth pastor position that we were in. And at the same time, I was actually stepping away from my, my teaching profession that I had done for 11 years. Um, and most people, when they step away from a career, they have a plan of what they're going to next. Um, we didn't. We just were trying to follow God's leadership. Um, and over the next few years from that time, we assumed we were going to be going into another, another youth position. And every time we would seek out a youth position, um, God would present us with a children's ministry position. And we'd say no. We'd say no, we want a youth position. And then um, we'd seek one out and God would say, um, present us with a children's ministry position. And we'd say no. Um, and we're a little hard-headed. I think it took three or four times. Um, and, and we came here and just fell in love with this place. And lo and behold, we're working with children's ministry um, now. And, and Matt jokes, he says we actually brought children's ministry home because at the same time we were working through all that, um, Christ laid it on us to become foster parents, um, a foster family. And I think just growing us now in the fact that every day, especially with the foster um, children that he has laid in our house, being willing to say yes when he asks you to serve, not being in control of the situation, not knowing what the outcome is going to be, and just being okay with that and trusting in 
the fact that when we don't have a plan, he has a greater plan and that he is sovereign in all mm. things. Yeah. Mm. That's a good word. And, and, and I speak for all of our church. You, you guys serve well. Thank you all for serving well. You all are a blessing to our church. For those of you all that don't know, Matt and Liz now have six children. And they are a growing family. So they have children's ministry in the house as well. Liz, Liz thank you. Church, join me as I, as I pray for her. Father, thank you for Liz McBroom. And thank you, God, that you've changed her life. She sees how you've been doing that going back to the, the early years. She said seven years old. Looking back to those college age years and yet even now all through her marriage god i pray you would bless her as a wife and as a mother and, and god i pray that she would stay close to you and i pray that she would be confident that you're going to finish in her what you started god we thank you for her in jesus name we pray amen thank you liz If you would turn in the Bible to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. I want to do something a little bit different though before we start. I know it's going to make us tight on time. And if you didn't bring a Bible, it's page 924 in the Pew Bible. I'm going to do something different this morning. I think you're aware that today is September the 11th, right? 15 years ago today, 2001, uh, was when the world. Trade towers were attacked and brought down. And so I want us to spend some time in prayer. I want us to have a moment of silence, take a few minutes here for us to just bow our heads and pray, okay? Uh, I want you to pray for our country. Pray for people that you know that serve in the military. Um, pray for God to be working in our country. Um, pray for peace. Pray for the spread of Jesus and his reign as Lord to be happening. Pray for Christians to be peacemakers. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Pray for that. But let's do that. Let's have a moment of silence. You bow your heads and pray. Pray for any of those things. And then here in a few minutes, I will close us in prayer, and then we'll start our sermon. Father in heaven, we come to you now with very heavy hearts. Sobering reminders this morning of where we were, what we were doing that morning, September 11th, 
Father, we pray your blessing upon the world. We pray your blessing upon our country. And we cry out with great humility, God, and we say, have mercy upon us, God. Have mercy on us. We ask, Lord, that you would forgive us of our sins. Father, we thank you that you spared us that day. Father, we thank you for our country, for your protection. We ask, Father, for more protection. Father, we thank you for the people that are, that are our protection. We thank you for our military. We thank you so much for those that serve. We need to be more aware of the freedoms we have at the cost it, it takes. Father, we hate strife and divisions and struggles that are going on in the world. We do pray like Jesus taught us, Father, that your, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We do long for that. Father, I pray that we Christians would be humbled and broken at sin in the world. I pray that we would hate hypocrisy. I pray that we would not be judgmental. I pray, God, that there would not be Christians who badmouth Islam. Rather, God, I pray that there would be Christians who spread the truth, love and serve, preach the gospel, lay down their lives for their neighbors. Father, yet we know that you're in charge. Nothing happens outside of your great control. And so, Father, we seek you now. We thank you for the United States of America. We thank you so very much, God, that this is where we were born, if we were, this is where we, we lived, this is where we were raised, and so many, so many gifts and blessings and privileges. We ask, Father, that we would turn it all back to you and that we would worship you. God, we are aware that there were many lives lost that day 15 years ago. We pray for their families. We honor them now. We pray your blessing, God, on our country. We remember. God, may you work and may you get the glory that Christ would be exalted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for that. Let's turn in the Bible now to Mark chapter 6. Got a passage here that's a heavy one. I'm glad that you're here today. It's a hard passage and a heavy one, but a good one. The Bible teaches us that it is the authority. We don't need me to hit a home run today in order for God to work through the Word of God. We need to preach the Word and God will work through His Word. Some passages are just obviously that way, like today's. Just reading this is enough to, to, to shake us. But I want to encourage you from the outset that you would be that type of a Christian that would receive the Word of God and allow it to, to, to go to work on your heart. Don't hear this and let it go in one ear and out the other. Don't let, don't let this go right underneath the pew and miss you. Don't, don't be so focused on lunch today here in just a little bit that you miss this. About a year ago, I was out in the front yard playing some, some football with 
with the boys. And nice guy, really, really nice guy, walked up in a suit and tie and walked all the way up into the yard and wanted to start talking to me about Jesus. And I quickly realized that he was a Jehovah's Witness. And um, I said, well, I'm trying to have some father-son time right now. I really would like to talk to you. Um, how about I just keep playing with the kids right now and let's get together again soon. He said he would love that. So I gave him, he asked if he had my phone number. I said, yeah, and gave him my phone number. He called me and said, can we get together and talk? I said, sure. I said, well, I'm at work, though. And he said, okay, can I meet you at work? I said, yeah, sure. And so he showed up here, and it was a little bit of a different setting, I think, than he was ready for, but still, it's just me and him. And we sat downstairs at a table and talked, and they don't believe that Jesus is God. They believe in Jesus. They believe a lot of things about Jesus, but they do not believe that he's God. And so he had his Bible open. I had my Bible open, same Bibles. I was trying to show that he's God, and he was showing me that he wasn't God. And so after it went in a circle, certainly, y'all, believe me, nice, cordial, kind, loving, good conversation. No, nobody getting a bad attitude or anything like that. He said, well, looks like we're going to have to agree to disagree. I said, yeah, I guess so. And so as we started to shake hands and stand up and part ways, I said, there's always something that's true. That means one of us is wrong. If you're wrong about Jesus, well, you won't be saved. He said, you're right. I said, okay. Believe that, y'all. If you don't know the truth, then you're not going to be saved. And if you're not going to be saved, you'll be condemned. It's the worst thing that could possibly happen. And he was okay, at least that day, to say he thought I was wrong and I thought he was wrong. And Jesus is God. Now, for clarity, if Jesus, the reason why you have to believe that Jesus is God is because if somebody other than God died for our sins, it doesn't satisfy the punishment for sin. A man can't die for sinners, and it be good. God died for sinners. God took our place. You must believe that Jesus is God. The Bible teaches that. But the issue there was truth. What is truth? And we went back and forth on it. Well, if you're going to be a Christian, and you're going to be a believer then you need to know what the truth is and commit yourself to the truth and see the truth and the truth will be changing you. But that must be real. You must be a, a believer of the truth. So if you don't ever read the Bible or you kind of ignore me when I'm preaching, you don't know what the truth is. We need to know the truth. Today's passage gets right at that. Today I want us to look at four characteristics of the truth. Truth is attractive. Truth hurts. Truth is expensive. And truth will speak for itself. Truth will speak for itself. Read with me, if you will, at Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 14. Mark 6, beginning in verse 14. King Herod heard of it. For Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah. And others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias. Please listen to this. For the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. 
but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask for me whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. That's a heavy passage, isn't it? I even thought about, should I read that passage if we have children in here? But then I thought, you parents can deal with it. Number one, truth is attractive. King Herod, who has plenty on his plate and in his mind and on his to-do list. He's got a lot of responsibility. He had heard of Jesus' ministry and the sending out of the twelve and uh, from verse 13, the casting out of many demons and anointing people with oil and many people who were sick being healed. The king, the governor, uh, King Herod had heard of this. It says in verse 14 that Jesus had become known. The parallel passage that we read in Matthew said that he had heard of Jesus' fame. Y'all, truth is attractive. It will raise questions and raise eyebrows. It will, it will catch ears. Truth provokes curiosity. How many times have you said, is that right? How many times has somebody told you something and said, I'm going to Google that real quick. I want to know if that's really true. You've, you've, you've got me thinking now, right? I heard that at the state fair they have a Krispy Kreme burger. Krispy Kreme donut, cheeseburger, Krispy Kreme donut on top. I love Krispy Kreme donuts. So I said, I'm, I'm going to go see that. I thought I was going to eat one until they cost $9. <laughs> but they are true. There is such thing as a Krispy Kreme burger. But when I heard about it, I was like, really? I want to go see that. Truth is this way. You hear of something and you, you wonder, is that true? I'm curious about that. I, I want to know. When people are saying that God has come and he's doing miracles, he's preaching, we've never heard anybody preach like this. He's a Jew and he's going against the Jews. He's, he's a Jew and he's for the Gentiles. He loves everybody. He never sins. He heals people. He does this. He's unbelievable. King Herod had heard about it. You better believe he had. The truth is something that people are seeking now, because the truth is so blurried and people don't even know what the truth is, that they kind of get misguided in which direction they're seeking for it, but it's still in the, in the aim of truth. They just can't find it. Do you remember when they were about to kill Jesus? And they went through the whole cycle of, of him being uh, uh, in, in a trial and him being beaten and him being flogged, and then he goes to Pilate. You remember all that? And Pilate talks to him and says, what, you know, what's the deal here? And... Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world. And Pilate says, also you're saying you're a king. He said, well, you said it, not me. Jesus makes this great statement. If my kingdom was of this world, then my people would be fighting. But since we're not of this world, we're not fighting. My people seek the truth. And I came to bring the truth. People who love me love the truth. And people who don't, me don't, love, don't love me don't love the truth. Jesus is saying this in John 18, to which Pilate answers back, you know, John 18, 38, what is truth? Remember that question? Pilate said, what is truth? 
Truth is something that we want to know, but we don't know if we can figure it out. We think, man, there are so many different churches out there and so many denominations. Who knows? There's so many different religions out there. I mean, who's to say what's right or wrong? But truth is attractive. Look what happens here in this passage. Some people said that Jesus was John the Baptist. He had been raised from the dead. They're curious about who is this guy. That's why all these miraculous powers are at work in him. John the Baptist is back alive. But then some others said, well, he's Elijah. And then some others said, no, he's a prophet. He's like one of the prophets of old. He's not an old prophet, he's a new prophet, but he's, he's like them. Then it comes back to Herod, and Herod thinks that it's John the Baptist who he cut off his head, and so now Herod's really worried. He thinks he killed a man, and God brought him back. And yet there's all this discussion about, well, well what is it really? And let me tell you that when the people of God really, really, really start living out God, when we start to reflect the Son as we're supposed to, when we start to be holy like our Father in heaven is holy like he tells us to, then people are going to start asking why? why. Why do you love me? Why are you laying down your life for me? Why are you doing this for me? Why are you so good to me? Why do you care so much? Why are you still with me? Why do you forgive me? Truth will provoke curiosity truth is attractive and king herod had heard about jesus and now his mind is stirring about who could it be but the passage goes on and it leads to that the truth hurts just because you're interested in the truth doesn't mean that you want the truth just because you are curious to see what is the truth doesn't mean that you believe the truth number two the truth hurts verse 17 for it was herod who had sent and seized john and bound him in prison for the sake of herodias that's a key player here this lady named Herodias. She was already married. She was married to Herod's brother named Philip. She had a husband. Philip had a wife. Philip and Herodias were a couple. They were a family. They were supposed to be eyes for only each other, hands for only each other, romance and intimacy only for each other. And yet the king wanted to do what kings uh, do use their power he uses it in, Her in in Herodias and so now he is with Herodias and verse 18 says that John had been saying to Herod it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife the truth hurts John the Baptist praised God for him. We knew from the beginning that this man was a warrior for Christ. We knew from the mother's womb that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. We knew from the time he came on the scene in chapter 1 that he was odd and he was different. He was a heat-seeking missile for the witness and zeal for Christ. He dressed in camel's fur and ate locusts and honey. He was an oddball, if you will. But there was one characteristic that everybody knew about John the Baptist. He would preach the gospel to you and made sure you knew Jesus. There was a song when I was in high school that said, People get ready, Jesus is coming. And I loved that song. I don't ever hear it anymore. But I love the message of that. John the, Mab John the Baptist's message was, You better get ready, Jesus is coming. And he had the boldness or the, or the uh, 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 allegiance to Jesus to go to a man in authority and say, Herod, you cannot be sleeping with her. She's not yours. And I wonder if anybody would ever say that today. I wonder if you need somebody to say that to you today. That you're not supposed to be sleeping with the woman that you're sleeping with. And I want you to know that the truth hurts, and that makes the truth good. I want you to recognize here today that it's okay to be hurt by the truth. You should love the truth. The truth hurts, and Herod knew it. and He was bothered by it. But the real culprit here in this situation that, that ultimately had his head cut off was not Herod, but it was Herodias. Look at verse 19. Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted him put to death, but she couldn't. So imagine, Herod and Herodias kind of had this thing going. But Herod knew that this was a man of God. We'll get to that in just a second. He wasn't going to do anything about it. That'd be bad if he just got rid of John the Baptist. But Herodias wanted him dead, and he was getting in the way of her fleeing, if you will. Verse 19 says she could not. Verse 20 for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and 
He kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and, and yet he heard him gladly. You can see that there is this, this, this great pain and struggle going on in Herod. He loved John. He admired him. He didn't like John. He didn't like John's message. But he knew that John the Baptist was a holy and righteous man. He knew that there was the, the power of God coming through him. He knew that this man spoke truth. Even though the truth hurt him and offended him, he knew that that guy was telling the truth to him. Amen. And he would not kill him. He kept him safe. But look what it says. He was greatly perplexed. Do you see that? He was greatly perplexed. J.C. Ryle, one of my favorites, says, A friendless, solitary preacher with no weapon at all other than God's truth disturbs and terrifies a king. How's that possible? Since when would a king give a rip with all the authority and power that he has, give a rip, care one little bit about a little guy who has no friends, he's an oddball, he eats bugs, cares what he's telling him. Get out of my way, I'm going to do my own thing, is what he would say, except for the truth is a power. It is the power of God. And John the Baptist was just saying, probably with tears in his eyes, probably with a great devotion to Herod, Herod, you cannot keep sleeping with her. You're wrong, Herod, and your soul is at stake. And Herod loved him and hated him. Notice that it says he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. He knew to push the truth further away was to be this type of Romans 1, terrible sinfulness. To push the truth away from you and say, I don't ever want to hear it again. To quit coming to church because you're living a way that church doesn't approve of is the worst thing that you can do. To keep your Bible closed because you don't want to hear what God says is the worst thing that you can do. And Herod at least knew that. He kept hearing John. Even though John kept telling him, he kept hearing him. And he was greatly perplexed about it. Proverbs 28, 23 says, Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Doesn't it sound terrible to think that John the Baptist may have hung out with him and not brought it up? If you were reading this 2,000 years later and we're reading about John the Baptist, man, this guy was a, a voice crying out in the wilderness, man. He was making the path straight for the Lord. John the Baptist is the fulfillment of Isaiah 40. He came telling people, get ready, Jesus is coming. Repent for the kingdom of God is coming and he's right behind me. And I'm not worthy to undo his sandals. I'm telling you, get ready, the Savior of the world is coming. Behold, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was John the Baptist. And then you hear about Herod and his sexual immorality. And then you hear that John the Baptist and Herod spent a lot of time together and he never brought it up. Sounds wrong, doesn't it? It's inconsistent. The truth hurts, but the truth must be spoken. How many relationships are you going to continue to keep on a surface level with no truth involved only to have them divided forever in eternity? Because we're afraid of the truth that hurts. John MacArthur says, This perplexing in Herod indicates that Herod's interaction with John left him in great internal, internal conflict. There was a moral struggle going on. His lust for Herodias and the prodding of his guilty conscience. We're familiar with that, aren't we? We're not here today just pointing the, fair, just pointing the finger at Herod. Everybody in the room knows what it feels like to know what is right and be pulled towards something that's wrong. My point is for you to welcome the truth and recognize that the truth, even if it exposes you in your sins, is good for you. There's nothing better than for you to be called out, for you to confess your sin and to break your heart before God and say, Oh God, have mercy upon me. Not just sexual sins, all sins. If you're rude to your children, if you're bitter at work, if you're tight with your money, if you're this or if you're that, you need to get over it. You need to set your eyes upon Jesus and see that he died to save your life. You need to realize that life's about God, it's not about us. You need to realize that you're not promised tomorrow, and you need to make a change. You need to let the truth come into you and change your life. I remember being a kid and playing this game, Truth or Dare. Y'all know that game? It's not really a choice, actually. When I played, nobody ever chose truth because we're going to ask you the worst question ever. You'll be exposed forever. 
So everybody just says dare. I'd rather jump off a cliff or drink Clorox than tell the truth to somebody about my past. And that's how the game goes, isn't it? Even the slightest thing. The truth hurts. But it's good for us. It's good for us. Is Herod in heaven? Did he get saved or sins forgiven? I don't know. But you know what we do know? He knew the truth, didn't he? He knew the truth. Why? Because John the Baptist told him. Did it hurt him? Yes, it hurt him. But he was told. The truth is attractive. It gets people wondering. It gets people thinking about what is true. But the truth hurts. The Bible says that every single one of you in the room are lost in your sins until you come to Christ. The Bible says that every single one of you, even our little kids, my little Liliana, who's the cutest thing ever, she'll give me kisses after kisses after kisses. She'll reach in my mouth and try to grab my tongue to give her a good kiss. She's that much loving to me. You know what the Bible says about Liliana? That she is dead in her trespasses and sins. And it will only be the blood of Christ that will rescue her and save her. We need to be saved. We need to come to God. And that's the truth. And the truth hurts. But when God tells us that we've sinned against him, he says, I've already got the remedy. Jesus loves you and he died and I'll forgive you of all your sins. There's mercy in God our Father. So truth is attractive and truth hurts. But the next, truth is expensive. Truth is expensive and I know that you know this. Truth will cost you something. Truth will cost you something. John the Baptist, John the Baptist had been telling Herod and Herodias that they were wrong. So it was costing him that nice relationship. Hey, I don't know if you are friends with any kings, but it'd be nice to be friends with a king, wouldn't it? It'd be nice to be friends with a king. Matter of fact, if you're friends with your boss, will you do anything he asks you to? If your boss tells you to cut a couple corners or pocket a little bit of money or lie on a couple spreadsheets, will you do it? If your husband asks you to, will you? If the coach doesn't know, would you do it? If the teachers don't know, would you do it? What would you do? Well, the truth is expensive. It'll cost you something. It cost John the Baptist something in his relationship, but then also it cost Herod something. Herod was upset and he was perplexed and he was bothered and now this romantic, sinful, lustful relationship that he had with Herodias that perhaps was unhindered, I don't know, he was having with his brother's wife, if you can even imagine, is now being messed up. Not as nice as it was. He's thinking because of this man, John. Herodias is especially thinking this way. He's messing up my affair. The truth hurt and it was expensive. How expensive? Well, verse 21 says an opportunity came. Here's what happened. It was Herod's birthday. And so he has a party, which I think you do. But his party involved bringing in Herodias to dance for him and his boys. Can you imagine? It's filthy. Let me make a little point here to say, I, I hope you have parties. My wife loves to throw big parties. But can I warn you to throw a party in the name of Jesus for the glory of God? Do you realize you can have a Friday night party or a bachelor party or a bachelor party that worships God? I'm confused on all these bachelor parties and bachelor parties, bachelorette parties and wedding parties and going away parties that are supposedly among Christians, but they look like everybody else's bachelor and bachelorette and wedding parties. What's happening? What, what, what is a birthday party that happens on Saturday night all night so that we don't come to church? What, what is that? What's a Sunday morning at 11 birthday party for? 
There's only 168 hours in a week. Surely one other one would work than the one that we worship. Herodias, or Herod, throws a party, invites all his boys in, and brings Herodias in, imagine. Brings his lover in to dance for them. That doesn't sound right, does it? Brings his brother's wife in to dance for them. That doesn't sound right. And he liked it, it says. He liked it so much, he said, girl, I'll give you anything. So she doesn't know what she wants. So she goes and asks her mom. The story gets even more twisted, right? Herodias didn't know she wanted John the Baptist killed. Her mom did. Her mom didn't want any splinters in this love relationship. If you're a mom, can I encourage you to desire what God wants for your kids? Can we parents stop wanting our kids to be in relationships that aren't for the glory of God? As a parent, can you desire what God wants for them? What is she thinking? Because her daughter is sleeping with her husband's brother, she's not going to say that that's wrong, and she's not going to put a stop to it, and she's not going to put her foot down. So she says, let's have the truth speaker killed. Man, that's expensive. All it is is one little statement. It's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. One little statement has the whole situation messed up. Man, the truth's expensive. It's a big deal. When she came back with that answer, John the Baptist was upset. Look at verse 26. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Not sorry enough that he wouldn't do it. Truth is so expensive. John the Baptist could have lived to see another day, couldn't he? John the Baptist could have kept the peace with Herod. John the Baptist could have gone out to lunch on the king's bill that next week if he wanted to. He could have had king over. The king could have had him over. They could have, they could have hung out and had Sunday lunch and just talked about football if they wanted to. I'm not going to bring up that you're sleeping with your brother's wife. I, just, I don't want to go there. don't want to ruffle the feathers. don't want to bother anybody. I don't want to get involved with that, king. Let's just on your bill. You know, the truth hurts. And it'll cost you something. But it is worth it. Do you remember in John chapter 8 when Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You want to be enslaved and wrapped up in the web of sin? Then you keep ignoring and hiding from the truth. You want to be free, free as a bird. You want to be free with a clear conscience? Embrace the truth. You know why the proverb says that the integrity of a righteous man guards him? Because if you're not doing anything wrong... There's nothing anybody can say about you. Hey, if you're not sleeping with anybody, they can't say that you're sleeping around. If your word's your word, they can't say your word's fake. If you're broken over your sins, they're not going to call you prideful in your sins. If you're faithful to your wife, they won't call you unfaithful to your wife. If you're faithful with your money, they won't say you're unfaithful with your money. The integrity of the righteous man guards him because there's nothing evil that you can say about him. And if you get to the very core of his sinful issues in his heart, then he will embrace the mercy of Jesus. You're right, I am a sinner, and he died for me. All that to say that it is the truth that Jesus and his people are about. You remember Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17? In verse, I don't remember what verse. Oh, verse 17. Jesus prayed, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God, make them like you through your word, which is the truth. The truth will cost you something. It will call you out. It will embarrass you. It will uh, cause you to recognize that you're not right. Yet it will lead you to the way of everlasting. Ryle says again, King Herod went further than many people. He feared John. He knew that he was a just man and a holy man. He observed him. 
He heard him and he did many things in consequence because of John. He even heard him gladly. Listen to me. But there was one thing that, he, that Herod would not do. He would not cease from his adultery. He would not give up Herodias. And so he ruined his soul forevermore. The truth is expensive. And it will cost you something. And then lastly, the truth will speak for itself. Truth is attractive. Truth hurts. Truth is expensive. But the truth can speak for itself. I'm amazed in this passage, passage all that we don't know. All we know is one little line that John said to Herod. That's it. It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herod upset. Herodias upset. Herodias' mom upset. John the Baptist beheaded. Over one line? If it's true. Hey, if it wasn't true, it never would have made the book. If people are telling lies about you and stories about you and drama about you, why are you getting so upset about it? Or does it hurt? Because it's true. One little line that was true has them all worked up. The truth can speak for itself. Truth cannot be denied. Truth, you will, if you will, is a hammer. Think about any court case that's still open right now or any investigation that's still open right now on anything, anywhere in our country. All we're waiting on is for the truth to come out. And the person that knows the truth, if they tell the truth, then done deal, right? What is the truth? Well, as soon as somebody will tell us the truth, it'll all be over with. That's the way the truth works. The truth is incredible in the sense of its credibility. It tells us what is true? Charles Spurgeon says, The word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose, and the lion will defend itself. Tell me what the truth is, and it will work. And so it is in the church that we uphold the truth. Two of the great points that we believe as Christians is in the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. And yet many of you are high on the authority of Scripture that this is the Word of God. Whatever this says is true, you know that. But I want to point you to that second category that is the sufficiency of Scripture. We believe wholeheartedly that if this is taught, it will work. Even from a prisoner that nobody liked... Speaking to a king, it was working. And you may not even like this sermon today or me for preaching it, but it's not going to die in your heart. The word of God does not return void, Isaiah says. It's real, and it will not leave you alone. Think about some of these passages. Remember Hebrews 4 or 12, one of those two, where it says that the word of God is sharp and living and active, and it gets down inside of us, and it goes to work on us? The Word of God is true, it's powerful, it's sharp, it cuts deep, it convicts. This is the reason why in Acts chapter 20, Felix was trembling. You remember that? It says that Paul was preaching to him about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. And it says that he trembled. He didn't, he didn't like what he heard. He didn't like what he was hearing. Or what, what about Agrippa in Acts chapter 26? When Agrippa, after listening to Paul, says, I've almost been persuaded to believe. This truth sounds so convincing. Or what about in the Old Testament, 1 Kings 18, with Elisha for speaking the truth to them? They said that you are troubling Israel by telling us the truth. Or what about the reason why they hated Jesus? It's because he told them the truth. He told them the truth. And they hated him. Do you remember in John chapter 14 when Jesus is talking about heaven and the mansions that are there? He says, you know the way. And Thomas says, no, we don't know the way. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth. Jesus is the 
truth. You get yourself far from Jesus, you get yourself far away from the truth. You get yourself close to Jesus, you get yourself in the truth. May it be that we understand that the truth is attractive. You're all wondering about it. You at least go to church. But the truth hurts because it calls us out and points us to what is right and what is wrong. And it's expensive. It's not, a lot, it's not enough to just say, yeah, okay, I know it's true. It's not going to let you stay where you are. It's not going to let you stay in your sins. It's not going to let you coast through drama. It's not going to let you coast through sin issues. It's hard, and it hurts, and life's ugly, and it's messy. But the truth is the truth, and we must stand for it. But we must know that we can count on that the truth works. It is sufficient. It is sufficient. I came to this church in 2003. Associate pastor, Josh Powell, the former pastor, left in 2009. I've been the pastor now for seven years. And we are really seeing God working a lot here in our church and in, in Fairdale. Our numbers nearly on every level are continuing to climb. More and more visitors, more and more people, more and more attendance. Everything is going up, and we are thankful for that. And as you can tell, we don't have the best of anything around here. Somebody was to ask me, why do you think that's happening? Or somebody was to ask me, really, how are y'all doing it? I have one real answer. God is honoring the sufficiency of Scripture. Week after week, whether I like it or not, whether you like it or not, well past 12, we're seeing what God says. And God won't let us run from it. It is sufficient to convict us of our sins and then set us free from them. The Word of God is changing people's lives. It hurts. And it's costing us some stuff. But it's working. I ask you today to embrace the truth that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And it is only through him that you'll be forgiven of your sins. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these characteristics of the truth. It's attractive, it hurts, it's expensive, and it speaks for itself. Father, I pray that today that we would let the truth go to work on us, that we wouldn't push it away, that we would not say, I don't want to hear it, but that we would be humbled. God, help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.